What am I doing for an intro? I have one that you'll dig. <laughs> I'm just, I've been waiting all day to plant the seeds for that one. <laughs> I think your jokes are watered down is what they are. <laughs> We're doing great tonight. All right. Welcome to the Codex Cantina where I am Una. And I am the Gardener Crypto. If you are new to the Codex Cantina, we take some of the most important literature that has influenced even today's writers. If you are down for a conversational approach to literature, make sure you hit that subscribe button to join us. Today we are looking at The Garden Party by Catherine Mansfield. It was published in 1922, and we'll leave links down in the description below where you can read and listen for free. So Catherine Mansfield was born in 1888 to an upper-class family, and it was uh, around 1970. 17 that she was diagnosed with tuberculosis so so upper class and death was on her mind when she was writing this and boy does that come through in this story if memory serves i think she died 1923 just a year after this was published yep joins mr scott unfortunately but uh she writes an interesting story here dealing with laura who is trying to find herself I definitely think we're going to have to talk about a little bit about those themes of class power, using class as a as a weapon or as power, kind of like how we talked about in the doll's house talk with her, as well as how death kind of pervades this story a little bit today. First thing I want to know, Una, what are we planting at the garden party? <laughs> lots and lots of canna lilies. All right. In terms of plot, what happens in this story? The upper-class Sheridan family prepares to host a garden party. The mother announces she shan't be in charge this year, <laughs> and then promptly orders everyone around. <laughs> this story's but, hilarious. It really is. It really is. is. I, I really enjoyed the story. The absurdity is just, just enough. The daughter, Laura Sheridan, is barely able to instruct the worker men on placing a marquee. She respects them too much and wishes there wasn't such a class divide. The family tends to preparations for the party when they learn that their working-class neighbor, Mr. Scott, has died just outside their gate. Laura believes the party should be called off, but no one else thinks they should bother with rearranging the party on account of the death. Mrs. Sheridan has Laura wear a fancy hat, <laughs> calms her down to participate in the party. Party happens. Later, Mr. <laughs> really quick, too. <laughs> <laughs> Later, Mrs. Sheridan orders Laura to bring a basket full of leftovers to the Scott's house. Laura is then led into the neighbor's poor house by Mrs. Scott's sister, and upon seeing the corpse, Laura quickly takes her leave. Laura stumbles upon her brother, Laurie, and she says, Isn't life? but is unable to complete her sentence, and Laurie responds, isn't it a darling? <laughs> End plot. Oh, it was so frustrating. And you think, <laughs> it, did he say... Isn't it darling or isn't it darling? <laughs> it depends on where you put the emphasis. Really does matter on how no, he's responding he's calling, to his sister. He's, he's calling her darling because there's a comma before it. So he's addressing her as darling. I know, but it's uh, it's wicked. It, it, it feels wicked. <laughs> All right. So first thing we got to talk about is class, right? I really like the opening line because the opening line, the opening paragraph is is quite brilliant. For this it really is remarkable but we have and after all the weather was ideal they could not have had a more perfect day for a garden party if they had ordered it so i get the expression i really do but it's clear that mansfield is bringing in power and class divides in the story and here she's talking about ordering a perfect day and not only that we very quickly move on to the gardener had been up since dawn mowing the lawns and sweeping them so you'll notice 
as we start to talk about this class divide and stuff like that and ordering things around, right, the gardener doesn't get a name. The cook, what do we refer to the cook as in the story? The cook. The four guys putting the marquee down, the worker men. There's not a ton of names. There are a few lower class individuals that get names. It's not like it's everywhere. But it's very clear that if you are someone, you get a name in this story. And if you are lower class and just helping out the people who have the power, who have the money, you're just referred to as your job title. And even the worker men, they're described as like their height, their age, like nothing, nothing like even close to a name. Yeah, I love how that she seems so vague with these characters that are throwaway, because this story does feel very autobiographical a little bit about Mansfield's life. And she is trying to point out that when you're rich or when you're well off, a lot of times these people will look down upon others, not as people, but tools to be used, that they don't even get names. And that Manfield's trying to say that we had so much money or we, we felt like we were so much better than other people that we have the money to order the weather. We can do like God does. That's how powerful money is in the eyes of you know individuals that are able to order others around. And it's hard to let go of that power, even obtain the power in a sense too, right? The mother says, my dear child, it's no use asking me. I'm determined to leave everything to you children this year. Forget I am your mother. Trust me as an honored guest. And then promptly is just like, yeah, I totally ordered way more can of lilies than I needed. Go move that piano over there. Set that marquee up over here. And like Laura, who's supposed to be in charge, right? Like what's the first thing she does with the worker men? Um... Where, where should we put this marquee? <laughs> like, just doesn't take control at all. What I think Mansfield's doing here is trying to explain to us that these are learned and taught behaviors that, she, that, that Laura's innocent and she hasn't learned this viciousness that her mother has or she doesn't feel like she should be entitled to treat other people this way because she hasn't done it. And she may have seen her mother do it, but she hasn't started acting on those urges to do the same thing because she doesn't see the money as something that she should lord over others. And I think I could back up that statement, too, with a quote from the text where she says, these absurd class distinctions, well, for her part, she didn't feel them. So there's your evidence from the text that says that she doesn't observe the class differences, the class differences the way that her mother does. And I think Mansfield has set this up beautifully to have this distinction between Laura, the rest of her family, and Laura and her brother, whose names are almost identical, and that's all done uh, with intent. You mean like the upper class are like the same ilk? Yeah, I think this kind of sets their demeanor. These two are the opposites of each other. Lori is looking at everything from more an intellectual standpoint. And we see that at the end of the story where how he processes information and processes death and processes having or not having the party. And Laura is looking at this for more an emotional perspective of how people are going to react with their feelings to a situation such as death and still having this party that seems kind kind of heartless by not even acknowledging that somebody has passed away. I have to bring it up. I can't believe you didn't ask me about that. Like, are you really not going to ask me about the flower symbolism in this? I figured you'd bring it up at some point. (laughs) (laughs) So canna lilies, if you didn't know, I will read this from Google. I'm not making this up. Okay. Okay. These these exotic (laughs) beauties are associated with glory and power, but they also represent beauty and perfection. So I think that kind of backs up maybe a little bit of the two sides of the same coin that you're talking about. And also the earlier point of, you know, the mom who has way too much power and isn't willing to give it up is ordering this flower that 
represents power. <laughs> I think that brings us back to the whole point of the story as well, that Mansfield is almost giving an homage to Little Women in that even the characters' names are very similar. Uh, the March sisters from Little Women were Meg and Josephine, Beth, and Amy. And then when you go into the other, there, there are two more books after Little Women, and there are characters' names that are Laura and Lori. And you see here that she's paying homage to this because in Little Women, it was writing about these strong women in the late 19th century that was, you know, very atypical to how women were written for most of the time. And I think that the theme of generosity and self-sacrifice is huge in Little Women, and that's clear throughout the entire novel. And here we see that same thing happen with Laura, who is trying to have the generosity of giving up her party, self-sacrificing this party for the, the poor family that has lost a loved one. So I, I think that there are these wonderful themes in this book, but I also feel like Mansfield's trying to also go beyond the broader scope of, say, Little Women and making your own little spin on it as well. It's funny, too. You br you bring up the word sacrifice, and there's that quote from the mother where she says, people like that don't expect sacrifices from us. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of heartless because I know that the, the guy is... Um, Mr. Scott's only a passing acquaintance, right? But to Laura, every person matters, and the mother doesn't. And is that just because of the money? I, I don't know. I think that would be a hard sell. I think that a lot of people, whether they have a lot of money or not, as they get older, they become jaded about other people's lives or even their own life about their own mortality. And Laura is just innocent and doesn't understand that at all. Well, and she even self-admittedly doesn't see class like we talked about earlier. But you'll notice as soon as the mom's like, put on that hat, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, she starts going along with the party. She participates in it. Things go off without a hitch. And, uh, you know, again, she's ordered around to the Mr. Scott's house by the mom. Go to go deliver these foods over there. And then she's like, oh, I don't know if I want to come in. And like Miss, Mr. Mr. Scott's sister's like, come on in. And, and she's kind of like ordered around in a sense, too. But she plays the role that other people put onto her. Right. She's one that is willing to accept what other people give her as opposed to her mother, who's one of those people that will build what she wants. She she will go fight back against something that doesn't most likely benefit her or her family or something that takes away her power, in a sense, as opposed to Laura, who doesn't see these distinctions and doesn't see it as a disservice to be put into the. I guess, biddings of others, maybe. Yeah, the mom is obviously irritated, you know, beyond belief about just the presence of these people, but she tolerates them because it's going to allow her to have this joyous party that she wants to have, even though she's not putting it on. She's obviously still very invested in this party. All right, we got to bring it up. At least one question worth. What is the purpose of that last line? The isn't it? And then her brother responding with, isn't it, darling, said Laurie. What do you think that last line can mean? I think it's open interpretation. I think that Manfield did that on purpose. But I, to me, I feel like that she is saying, isn't it difficult? And he's saying it is, darling. But the way that I feel he's saying it, his tone, or maybe it's your tone, that it's worth it. Uh, it, it, the life is worth it. Even though it's tough, it is worth it. Because she's having a tough time with accepting death. And the opposite of death is life. And it, life is tough. And you're going to have to deal with it, darling. That's interesting because I almost had the, a different take on it where almost to your point earlier about how these are two sides of the same coin, Laura and Lori, I took it as they were on opposite pages 
where hers is almost kind of like this unknown to me, it took like it as a philosophical of like, isn't, is, is, is it fair? Is this, is this the way life is supposed to be? And Lori is on the other side where he's like, isn't it? Like it's a statement and he's admiring of it as opposed to questioning it. I took it as that these are people on opposite sides, not on the same page at all when it comes to life in general, whether it be class, whether it be the power, whether it be how to treat others. This was one of those things where I think Laura is trying to find in her own life, what, what does my relationship to the outside world means? And I think she's just now finally seeing with the death of this neighbor outside of their gate and they're not canceling the party or anything. I think she's finally coming into the the realization that her family's way is not her way. I completely agree with that. I think that overall that we see throughout the whole story, maybe that's the culmination of it or her statement that she can't finish because she's come to the realization that I'm no longer an adolescent. I am now an adult and making my own choice that I don't want to be like these people. I want to be my own person. And her brother's saying, you do you, man. Well, for other Mansfield-related chats, we will put a playlist down below if you would like to join us on the discussions in her short stories. Crypto, let's head into our subjective ratings for this. What are you going to give this one? I have a hard time with this, and I really enjoy the story. There's a little bit of meat in the bones on there with the different themes that we've discussed and the homage to Little Women. I really enjoyed Mansfield's writing. Uh, it's a good story. I don't think it's anything super special, nothing that's kind of super new or that hasn't been kind of done before in other stories. Um, I'm just going to give this one a solid six. I will go with a solid seven on this one. I feel like if I were like a huge Little Women fan, like this would just be my jam. <laughs> like, like having an homage to one of your favorite books, Little Woman, that could bring it up a little bit for you, right? But uh, for me, I'm just going to go with that even seven because uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was enjoyable. I, I thought it was funny but not over-the-top funny, but I was cracking up at the fact that these people still throwing the party after all this. Definitely some good chuckles along the way. Maybe I'm being a little bit hypercritical of it. I, I just, I feel, I don't know. I have mixed emotions, so maybe that's a good thing too. But again, yeah. our numbers are just completely made up. <laughs> yep, should mean nothing to you unless you're following our channel and looking for advice. All right, guys, if you are down for literature discussions like this, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We post videos twice a week monday and thursday with a bonus video on tuesdays if that sounds like you make sure you hit that subscribe button to join us una out peace <laughs>